welcome once again. Here we go. It's uh, Swing Thoughts. You know, it's remarkable. I, I talk to people each week that will quote things from the show. And I'm like, we said that? That's pretty smart. Wish I remembered it. That's <laughs> true. Like, I actually... It's funny because at the uh, end of every show that Fred and I do... Fred will say, what did we talk about? In the first 20 minutes, I'm like, I have no idea. That was like two hours ago. Uh, welcome to another show. Hopefully, you'll remember some of the things that we're going to say. There's Coach Tim. And uh, along with Golf Spiritual Leader, we welcome you to another episode of Swing Thoughts. Today, we're excited because one of our uh, longtime uh, friends of the show is going to join us and throw out some great golf uh, knowledge. He just made us laugh. We're going to try and recreate his line about uh, what golf is and isn't. How are you, Coach Tim? I'm really good. Yeah? I'm really good. Nice. Uh, we're going to talk about some uh, stuff on... Uh, well, there's a couple things we're going to get into. Some recent tournament stuff on my part. And uh, Tim had a great uh, range moment we're going to talk about. But first, let's acknowledge, as always, the uh, fine folks that have been uh, helping us out here for a really long time. And, of course, I am talking about TaylorMade. Let's be serious. Like, it's pretty crazy how, you know, how many people... Can we acknowledge the fact that, like, you're hitting the ball further, I'm hitting... Like, it's... Golf's the only sport where two old men in their 60s can still hit it with some speed. It's ridiculous. And part of that is due to the fact that uh, TaylorMade, the products are uh, outstanding. And uh, we invite you to check out, of course, all of their products at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. All right. Yeah, this week I took possession of uh, three new high-toe raw wedges. Nice. Love them very much. And I even got a little uh, accolades from members of my group on Saturday. Ooh, nice zip on that, Timmer. Mm. So new tailor-made wedges, those fresh grooves and TP5 ball. It's, It's a nice match. I'll tell you where else is a nice match. If you want to train your golf brain, uh, go to the source. Uh, for many years, uh, Dr. Carl Morris has been helping uh, golfers of all categories from beginners to elite. And uh, he's been training coaches on how to coach. And uh, along with uh, uh, his uh, friend Gary Nickel has written some uh, amazing books. The uh, Lost Art of Golf, Lost Art of Putting, Lost Art of the Short Game. And uh, I don't know. There's there's a few people that we've interviewed over the years that don't need, need much of an introduction. But uh, And he's one of them. He's a Hall of Fame friend of show, Dr. Carl Morris. We were just talking Thanks, before so the show. Hey, Carl. It's good, good we, to be back. I was saying before, it feels like a, it's beginning to feel like a school reunion when we get together. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of water under the bridge. We were. Did there is. Did, did you need three gin and tonics before you <laughs> relaxed enough? Uh, we, um, uh, I've got my padded cell ready. <laughs> we were uh, talking before the show about uh, the struggles of the game, and uh, we were talking about how it's the same for everyone, whether you're a coach or a player, and uh, you came up with uh, one of our favorite lines. What did you say? That golf's like what? Yeah, golf's a little bit like uh, Hotel California. You can uh, you can check out, but you can never leave. That's right. Once you, once you enter the matrix. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, that is true, though. Like, I, I mean, I had an interesting conversation on the other show that I host today with a guy that has been training uh, Olympic-level triathletes. His name is Barry Shepley, and he's written a, co- a book called Chasing Success. And we were talking about, like he said, he's taken guys... You know, he's, he worked with Simon Whitfield, who is a Canadian Olympian, but he also works with everyday business people, men and women, that decide that they want to run a triathlete, a triathlon, and he'll train them. And we were talking about commitment, about process, and I said to him, "Do you think you could take anyone and and you know train them to run a triathlon?" He said, "Yes." I said, "Do you think it's easier to train a triathlete?" Or to get somebody to scratch in a year. And he goes, oh, no, no, you could never do that. that, That's funny. You would actually have a better chance of becoming a triathlon in 12 months than you would of becoming a scratch golfer. Agree or disagree? Maybe, maybe, maybe that, Howard, was probably the best thing that we could all do. If we all tried to be triathletes for a year, we'd be so relieved at the end of it to get back to golf. <laughs> exactly. And that moment. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, well Carl... 
Um, I wanted to ask you about sort of a moment that you may have had early in your career in which you kind of maybe the lights went on for you in terms of how you envisioned yourself perhaps as a junior golfer. Did you have thoughts of becoming a pro or just what you thought? And then you kind of came to this, you had a moment or two in which you said, hmm, maybe this road I've been taking in my golf isn't exactly helping me. Maybe that's not where I need to go. So was there a moment or two in which you maybe had a shift that led you to do what you've been doing for the last 30 years or so? Yeah, it was. If it wasn't, it wasn't a short road, Tim. It was. It was more like a, an extended motorway, really, in the sense that I'd been. I'd been up to that point. If I took up golf relatively late, I think I was fourteen when I started to play something like that, and I'd been a reasonable footballer, a soccer player, as you would say, um, a good cricketer. I was. I was. I was. You know, had some ability at, at bowling, pretty quick and reasonable batsman, and I took up up golf. And within within sort of 18, I think it was 18 months, two years, something like that, from just picking the club up with no instruction whatsoever, just being out there with pals and, and you know, enjoying the game. I think it was two, within two years, I shot, I shot level par in a, in, a, in a tournament. Handicap came tumbling down. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, when that happened, people started to say to me, you know, if you, if you, if you just took some lessons, you, you, you could be really good at this game. And it was kind of like from that that point that the, I suppose the unraveling started to happen. Really, where the progress started to slow down, the the, the enjoyment started to reduce, and I, and I, and I became obsessed with golf swing and golf technique, and the 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 sort of intellectual pursuit of how you should swing a golf club took over. And I think as as a lot of people who go down that route end up being, I ended up being a, a golf coach, um, and basically teaching people to do the very thing that had made me worse. So it was kind of like, it was, it was, it was amazing really when I look back on it, you know, passing on stuff that really hadn't worked for me. And um, I, I then left the game for a couple of years and went away and completely sort of re changed everything in the sense that I, I, I wasn't involved in golf for a couple of years. I, 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 I was more involved in trying to help people in, in other areas of their life, habit control and things like that. And I, and I look back, if I'd, if I'd never had that two years away, I would never have ended up doing what, 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 I, was, what I do now because I would just have carried, I would carried on. I think it, the old saying that when you're in the system, it's very hard to see the system yeah. is, is really true. And, you know, that, that period of time allowed me to, to, to reflect. And then some of the things, the, the mistakes that I'd made and the, the sort of um, blind alleys that I'd, I'd, I'd gone down, I think, helped me in, in terms of the, the coaching side that I've been at 20, for the last 25 years or so. I don't, I don't for one minute think I've got all the answers now, but I, I think I ask a, some better questions. You know, when you first began coaching, did, was there a credibility, I want to say a bit of a gap, like before players can trust someone, like how did you establish credibility with uh, top-level pros? Yeah, I got I got really lucky, Howard. Actually, there was a there was a guy in in, a, in the region that I I'm in in the northwest of England. Uh, it was a, it was a lad called Philip Archer who was um, he was called the Pro Am King in the in the area, and in, in the sense that he would play in lots of pro ams, shoot ridiculously low scores. He'd regularly shoot 62, 63s, 64s, but then get him in a four round event. A tournament, he never quite managed to sort of replicate that form in, uh, in in more extended versions of the game. And we started working working together. And I, and I always I always remember the conversation that we had. I said, you know, Phil, when you when you play in pro ams, what is what is it that you do? He said he said first of all, he said I'm, I'm unusual for a golf pro. He said that I actually enjoy pro ams. He said I love playing in pro ams. He said, because what I do, he said, I don't really focus that much on my game. He said, I'm out there. I'll, I'll help a guy who I'm playing with. I'll, I'll go up and hit my shot. And then I'll go off and, you know, make sure that the other guys are enjoying themselves. And I said, well, what, what do you do in a tournament? And he said, well, in a tournament, I concentrate. And it was kind of like, it was kind of like that light bulb moment went on that, you know, inadvertently, what, it, what had he been doing? He'd, he'd been very, very sort of selfless in pro-ams not so much absorbed in himself and occupied himself in that 90% of the time when you're not playing golf that very few people look at effectively. 
and that just allowed his ability to to, to come out and he did uh, we started working together and I think a few months after we started working together he went to the tour school shot 27 under par and got his tour card and then the next few years he did pretty well in Europe he uh, played in the Rolex Trophy which was the, the, the trophy that they used to have um, in between Ryder Cup years um, made, made a few quid and it was from that that the other players came on board and you know got lucky with the likes of Darren Clark and Lee Westwood and Graham McDowell people people like that mm-hmm. Louis Eustizen so yeah it was uh, definitely right place right time I suppose Carl I've heard through your your podcast which is outstanding the brain booster you've made reference to Fred Shoemaker from time to time what yeah. was the influence that Fred had on your coaching style as you evolved it was it was huge Tim really it was um, I always cite Fred as being the, the most influential person in my career I went out and did his school 25 maybe 30 years ago now and I remember going out there and I'd read Extraordinary Golf, but the I think that the thing that, that struck me when I got out to the school, the, the, the coaches that he had, people like Evan Schiller and Kim Larson, Bill Kondaxis, there was um, maybe it was 10 or 15 other guys and a couple of women on the, on, on the, on the school that I did. And it was just, it was just um, a sense of a very special environment um, and since since years later, I, I understand the importance of environment now. But what what I think Fred was a genius at, or is a genius at, is is creating an environment where you were comfortable talking about your, your shortcomings. You were comfortable talking about your hang ups in your game, and you were comfortable being prepared to make some mistakes and and fail. And I'd never I'd never had that previously, and, and I certainly had never never set that up in in, in my coaching. It was. You know, my coaching was the standard model where somebody would come for a golf lesson, hit some balls, and I knew, and I, and I now know that they were they were on the lesson tee, and it was pass or fail on every swing. If they had a good shot, they passed. If they had a bad shot, they failed. I would then wait wait till it's it was my turn to give them the genius that was residing in my head of the model that I had in in in, in, in my mind. And you know, then then the rest of the lesson was all about me hoping that they hit good shots mm-hmm. because if I, if they hit good shots, it was validating what I was saying. And I and I look I look back on it now and I think, my goodness, what on earth was I doing? You know, and the the, the form of coaching bore no resemblance to the game. It bore no resemblance to what actually happened on the golf course. And you know, I, I, if I work with anybody now, I, I I get out on on the golf course with them. I walk six, nine, twelve holes with them and. That first meeting, to me, shows up so much that you, that you really don't get on 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 a, on a range. Um, and I know for you know, you probably get a lot of coaches listening to this. There is an economic model that is it's a lot easier to give half hour lessons, hour lessons. But I think I think really good coaches now are starting to to question the economic model. As as is it does it does it fulfil you? You know, if you if you're churning out half hour lessons, fifteen twenty a day. And you really genuinely don't feel that people are improving. How you know? How long can you can you do that? And 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 if somebody's happy and they feel fulfilled with that, well, definitely should they should carry on. But I think I think there's so much that you can gain from being out on the golf course, genuinely having good conversations with people, exploring the huge part of the game that's not golf, understanding their relationship with the game. I think that's that is an enormous part of, of what, what I look at is what, what what's a person's relationship to the game of golf. Because if you're not clear on that, no amount of sort of swing tips and, and techniques are going to make much difference. And, and back to your analogy of uh, the Hotel California, the problem with the game is that once you're inside, you know, whether you were the kind of person initially that, you know, gets caught up in the technical trying to figure out the secret to golf every other day taking a different swing thought to the golf course but back to your it's 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 just maddening in in the construct of the game but then uh, coaching it as you say there and we freddie uh, freddie uh, tim and i know so many guys that teach the game and economically there's a model set up that's really kind of a fail fail because as you just said the student feels like if they can't execute the tip that their instructor is given, they fail. The instructor is sitting there, as you say, crossing their fingers, hoping a, a few shots get flushed or you've failed. 
And and the first guy that I knew, and he's a good friend of Tim's as well, was Mark Evershed. 30 years ago, when I first saw him, he said, listen, I don't give one lesson. If you're not willing to sign up for a series, and it wasn't just trying to sell me, it was like he recognized early that there's nothing I can tell you in one hour that's going to do anything for you. So having said all that, the model you're talking about where a guy like a Carl Morris or a Tim O'Connor walks around a golf course with you, that's, you know, not everyone uh, would feel comfortable with that, but it's also not affordable for everyone. And yet that's the kind of lesson you'd get the most out of. Yeah, and it, 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 all, it all comes back to, Howard, I'm, I'm not saying here that this is the way to do it and nobody else should vary from that. I'm saying that, you know, if, if golf is important enough to you, mm-hmm. it's a big enough part of your life and you've gone down the sort of standard model of coaching of half-hour sessions and you don't feel like you're make, making progress, you know, it's, a, it's an area to explore. Flip side of that coin is this, there's some guys just love to work on the golf swing. And you know, they, they like the, the science of it. They like ground reaction forces and trail arm and lead leg <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And Yes, we do. I, you know, and, and if, <laughs> it, 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 you know, we, we're, we're here on the, we're here playing this game for a blink of an eye, if you think about it, you know, yeah. blink of an eye and it's all, it's all over and got done and we've, we've pulled our last putt. So it's very important to understand what you want out of it. But I think if if you're connected enough to the game to want to explore possibilities and see what you're capable of, then I think developing a relationship with a coach where the coach becomes more of a, a mentor, a cheerleader as well, and somebody you can, you know, anybody I work with, one of the central things that I'll say to them before we start is if we're going to work together, one thing I will ask you to do is to email me every single week with what how that week has just gone. And that might sound the simplest thing in the world, but I think for me, looking back, the, the coaching relationships that have been the most fruitful and productive and long-lasting, the people engaging that. Now, the email that comes to me each week is important for me, but it's nowhere near as important as it is for the person who sends it because mm-hmm. that person is reflecting on what they do. And I think you know, the ability to reflect effectively on what you actually do, not what you think you do Mm -hmm. or what somebody else says that you do, but what you actually do. If you can reflect on your actions and you can reflect on the person that you are on the golf course, you can actually start to shape that. And I think most people don't do that. You know, most people just play. It was a good game. It was a bad game. I shot 86, 76, whatever whatever it may be. And, you know, this might sound a ridiculous oversimplification, but that's what I tend to do with most things is that if you're going to be good at this game, it really is understanding yourself first and foremost and start reducing the things that don't work for you and do more of what does work. Mm-hmm. Now, that might sound ridiculously simple, but you've got, to, you've got to reflect effectively to be able to understand what it is that makes you tick as a unique, as a unique human being. And I think that's what a good coach does. It creates that environment where you ultimately – understand more about yourself as a golfer and and in in reality the coach should make themselves really redundant in the end because the player starts to understand much more about themselves Mm -hmm. no exactly um and that connects us back to fred shoemaker because so much of what fred's philosophy was it wasn't about him being what he would call mr answer man providing something brilliant and the student would put this into action which is Howard talked about, you know, if the student can't do it, it's a fail. If the coach doesn't help the person, it's a fail. So Fred turned it like 180, that it's about allowing the student just what you said is to understand him or herself, that they have, they can have an experience in which they can learn from that experience rather than can I put this piece of golf wisdom that I've just heard into play and can I do it right? which is, again, it's a pass or fail. So, and that's a, that's a model that I've been at, trying, been working to follow the last few years, particularly through, uh, through Fred, but also uh, one of his um, uh, very good friends, George McNamara, who just, who just uh, passed away. And George, it was really interesting. George, uh, and I'll throw this back to you, Carl. George says that he used to be anxious giving lessons you know would people be able to hit the ball if they were shanking it would they leave the range not shanking it but then he went he went screw it it's all about having 
allowing the person, facilitating them in having an experience. And as you said, sort of enabling that person to self-coach. So is that kind of close to the experience in some way that you try to provide? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I try and work with the idea that I think we mentioned this previously when we've when we've chatted together. That if you, if you look at it, if 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 you look at the game of golf, what is what is the game of golf in in terms of an activity? It's it's about hitting as fewer shots as possible. They, they, if if you're interested in lower scores, it's about hitting the ball less times. If you want to win money on on tours, it's about hitting less shots. And I think we sometimes lose sight of the fact that this game is about shots. It's not about swings. We don't, you know, it's not ice skating. You don't get marks for our artistic impression, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, the, you know, you can have a fantastic, you know, what would what would, what would Colin Montgomery have got? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of guys who would who would get ten out of ten for artistic impression, but never make any money. Oh, yeah. And then there's a bunch of guys who would go, "Wow, look, look at that!" But he can they, can they can seriously play. So if the game is about shots, surely we should be working backwards from shots. So that comes back to then, then what is it that you're trying to do? What what shot are you trying to play? Having a clear intention that this is what I'm trying to do with the golf ball. Right now, I think that's that's when if you've got a clear intention of the shot that you're trying to play then the coach can be a tremendous support in where to place your attention to make that shot happen. Right. So it starts with an intention, and then you work with a coach or yourself to actually get real clarity on where your attention needs to be to produce that shot. Now, likely it could be that you know if, if you've got your attention on the implement in your hand and you're really tuned into that implement, that you're probably going to get good feedback of what to do with the golf club to influence the ball. But I think what underpins it, you've got intention, attention. What under, underpins everything is attitude. Is what attitude are you going to bring to this in terms of when the ball doesn't go where you want it to go, when there are some failures, because it's the attitude to the outcome that actually allows you to keep going back to intention and attention. If your attitude is one of, you know, I can't play the game or this is dreadful or this hasn't worked or whatever, you're constantly then going to be in that loop of never the never-ending search for the next tip. And, you know, what? If I go back, Tim Howard, if I go back 30 years when I first started coaching, I would say that the vast majority of people would come come for a, a session and their, their, their cup would be pretty empty in the sense that they had very little golfing knowledge. They, you know, they, 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 they didn't understand too much about the swing. They didn't understand too much about the game. Now... It's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Everybody, pretty much everybody that comes to me, not you know, the, the cup's not full. It's foaming. It's like you know, I'll, I'll say, well, what have you done with the game? And, and all these guys will realize I've, I've done decade and I've done this and I've done that and I did this course and mindfulness. And you just think, Jesus, where the hell do I start with yeah. all of this? <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's, it's it's an amazing transformation. And, you know, I suppose we're all a little bit guilty of this. We're on sure. a podcast talking about golf. But I think it's the amazing impact, some good but a lot bad, of the internet. That in the sense that I remember as a kid in the early days of my coaching career, if I wanted to gain some knowledge, I had to go and I had to go and watch a coach. I had to get on a plane and go and see Mike Hebron. I had to go and see Fred Shoemaker in California. There were no videos. There were no there were no YouTube clips. You know, you could buy some books and things like that. But I had to, as you guys, I'm sure did. You had to seek out knowledge. Mm-hmm. But 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 now there is so much apparent knowledge available at the click of a fingertip on on, on YouTube, etc. But that knowledge actually isn't isn't knowledge really. It's just a it's just a brain dump of information. It's a lot of noise. <laughs> Yeah, I love it's just that. Apparent, yeah. apparent knowledge. Yeah, apparent. Well, but but people do come. I mean, it's there's never been a time, whether it's golf or anything else, where you can, you know, soak up so so much information, but not really a lot of knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you were talking about, and and again, one of the things that is uh, responsible for a lot of 
aggravation in golfers is that they think their swing is supposed to be the same for every shot. And one of the first things I remember, whether it was you and I talking off the show or part of our discussions on the show, but when you when you say ask good questions and what's a good shot here or what does this putt have to do where does this putt have to roll to go in the hole and and you were the one that introduced that concept to me and Tim the idea of asking better questions but it ties in with my friend Paul Henrik who's one of the most odd but interesting coaches I've ever met and he would say this to he say the shot creates the swing not the other way around. And most people don't understand that. If I'm trying to fade a ball, my normal, my swing that I've been working on in these positions you're trying to hit don't matter. What matters is this shot here in front of me is going to need a certain nuance of motion that isn't my stock, you know, robotic a standard that I'm trying to achieve. And that really was a breakthrough for me personally, because I just tried to make the same swing on every shot even though the shot was different than the one I was hitting on the, the seven iron on the range. Um, and I think that that is part of what we've all learned from the mind factor and, and you is that it's really about asking yourself on every shot, you know, what am I trying to do here? What's the shot I'm trying to hit? And, and as even, and, and so tying it back to the overwhelming amount of swing knowledge, there's a lot of it out there, but there's a lot of stuff that, that you're talking about out there. I mean, it, it is, but there isn't. You know, I don't think I don't think golfers avail themselves of that kind of information. It I don't even have a. By the way, that there's no question in there, Carl. You don't even I have think to. I, I, I'm going to piggyback on piggyback. That. Somebody get in and piggyback because I realized <laughs> I that was a lot of. There were a lot of words there, but no. Ta- there was no actual question. You, you just teed it up. Howard. I teed up a thing. We're, we're, piggyback. We're launch it. <laughs> Um, I think what ha- has happened, so you know, through the years, you know, even going back to, you know, 20s and 30s, uh, all this information on how to hit the ball, you know, move your body parts this way, that way. And then there became this awareness of of performance and psychology, sports psychology. And I have a sense, and I certainly fell into it, that people like us, perhaps you, Carl, I get interested in your view- viewpoint on this, is that we like people who dispensed tips on the physical game, how to swing, dispense tips on how to swing, yeah. how to think. And here's what you do. And when you're in this situation, do this, this, and this. And it's been my experience as a coach and as a player that that's just as ineffectual. Is that if I'm thinking <laughs> about something that I need to do and remember to do this and have this strategy in my back pocket, I'm in essence just. just distracted from what I'm trying to do. So how have you seen sort of the evolution of perhaps the role of, of awareness versus trying to think our way around the golf course? Before you answer, I, I just want to say, I was going to say, I feel bad. Carl, Carl's been standing here for about 20 minutes going, is there a question in either of these two lunkheads? Or is anyone going to ask me? I'm a PhD for crying out loud. Uh, Carl, could you comment on anything that was just said? Please. I felt like it was. I felt like it was the reception desk of the Hotel California. There. That's right. Like, uh, is somebody gonna, you're like at some point. Would somebody show me to a freaking room, please? Because I'm standing I mean, in the lobby. Not be all coked up. That's right. Can I'm standing yeah. in the lobby. These two nincompoops are just yammering at me. Um, find a question well, in there for us. Yeah. No. I've uh, really relevant points. And what you just said, Tim. It, I, I definitely fell into that trap. No, no question where we'd gone from probably in the 70s and 80s, people thinking about the swing to then there was a bit, little bit of a, a, a shift over and people end up thinking about the thinking that they were looking for mental game tips in the same way that they'd been looking for, 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 for swing tips. And as you say, if you're, if you're in your head constantly thinking, All right, I've got to think this and I've got to think that, you're not actually present to your, your experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember I, I remember hearing a, a, a quite esteemed sports psychologist at a conference years ago, and he actually said this with a with a straight face, he, he, addressing the audience, and he said, he said, my 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 pre shot routine has got eighteen steps, and I'm sat there thinking. Jesus, I, I, I sometimes don't even remember to put the bins out on a Tuesday. How the hell am I going to remember to go through, through 18 steps? 
and I, and I, I, I love I love Fred's uh, take on this. That he ta- he he's, he helped me with this, and he said we, sh- we really really shouldn't be talking about pre-shot routines as such, because the idea that if you can just fix behaviour mm-hmm. and that will replicate is really not the way forward. But a pre-shot creation, whereby you have some fundamentals in there. So I, you know, I'm repeating myself now. You you have an intention and you focus your attention. But within that, on a given day, is allowing yourself some flexibility so that, you know, you used to, I think you used to see this with Tiger. You know, you would, you would really, I think at his best, you'd see Tiger watch the video of the chipping on 16 at the Masters in 2005, I think it was, with DeMarco's on the green mm-hmm. and, you know, in your life when the, when the Nike logo ro- rolled over. And you'd see Tiger, I think, really, really immersed in the shot but then you would see him feeling the the shot. But I don't think there was a specific, I might be wrong, but I don't think there was a specific number of practice swings. I think sometimes if he had two practice swings and it felt good, he'd get in and and hit it. Maybe another time if if it felt good on the first one. You know, I know you've had Izzy Justice on, on, on the show and, you know, he's pointed in a good direction for me is that, the idea that the, the the brain is really smart in the sense that if you give it a specific thing to, to a specific problem to solve, really it will get good at doing that. But it might be slightly different how it does it. So I know I know this might be heresy for a lot of people, but it, I think the idea of having a pre-shot routine can be really quite limiting. Mm-hmm. And I think it can work for a short period of time, but then be really counter counterproductive. And I like the idea of adaptability and flexibility under the framework of what's the shot, you know, intention, attention, and attitude. But part of the thing that people are searching for uh, in their physical motion is this idea of an anti sort of bulletproof golf swing or anti fragile, which we know isn't there. Golfers, it, it, it all physically changes day to day. Is there a way to become less fragile mentally? If if it's not yeah, think- if it's not routine, is the anti fragility lie in the flexibility then? I, I think the the anti fragility I would actually has to start way before you go to the golf course with your relationship to the game, and I think it I think that's working with somebody like you know Tim or hopefully myself or whatever. I think that's where you need some support to really establish the relationship with the game. What what does it truly mean to you? Mm-hmm. What are you playing the game for? That's a great. And if point. you if you're playing to reflect well in the eyes of others and, and all that kind of stuff that can lead you to some dark dark places but i think if you can establish the right relationship with the game but then build in prior to playing a really deep level of acceptance a really deep level of, of you know no matter what happens today on out on the golf course you know i'm going to be okay as a human being i might have had a bad day as a golfer but it doesn't mean i'm a bad person now again, that is one. Hang of on those a second. I'm going to write that down. Things. I'm writing that down. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. What? <laughs> Sorry, Carl. Please continue. <laughs> you know, and, and and I think that you know that that comment of acceptance. It's it's one of those things that it's a, it's a, it's an easy line to digest intellectually, but I would say if you're going to work on acceptance, you probably need to work with a coach and give it a, at least a good season mm-hmm. because you'll be monumentally challenged. But I think the players I've worked with who do get to the other side and they are prepared to accept outcomes. Ultimately, the other side of acceptance is freedom. And you've got freedom to then create shots. Now, acceptance doesn't mean that you're doing anything other than trying to shoot as low as you can. It doesn't mean that you're not trying to win the tournament or anything like that. But you have an acceptance of an outcome, whatever that may be, that allows you to then create the next shot. I love that. Because if you think, if you think about it, it's never, it's never the bad shots that's the problem at golf because we're all going to hit them for the rest of our life. It's the reaction to the bad shot. Mm-hmm. And any time that you've played good golf, any time you put a good score together, I guarantee there will be certain points in every round where your acceptance has been good. Your acceptance levels have been good. You've missed the putt, but you've got on with it. You've dealt with it, and you've hit a decent tee shot on the next, sure. next hole or whatever. Or you've hit a crappy tee shot, and you know you've not got too involved in your golf swing. You've you've gone, gone and created the next shot. If you people look back at the best golf that they've played, don't don't search so much for the, the nice swings because they'll be in there definitely. But search for the, how how deep was the acceptance on that day. 
how, how good were you at being able to just keep moving on from an outcome and then creating the next one? It's like, it's like Fred said years ago, you know, that the, the most, the bravest thing that a golfer can do is stay open to possible. Mm-hmm. The idea being that, that you know, you've missed a bunch of putts, you, you, your putter feels awful in your hands today, but is it possible that you could hold this next putt? Well, it, it, it only stops being possible when you create the story that it's not possible. And that's all it is. It's just a story. That uh, I'm going to write. I just wrote that down, Tim, quickly. The uh, the other side of acceptance is freedom. And that really is what it is that, that you 100%. have that you have the freedom to, that, you're, you know, as Kathy uh, Hart would say, that you have the freedom to have your own back, that you that you're that your own you know, best friend out there versus what, you know, what happens to a lot of us, which is, you know, we want to break up with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, is, it, is, is that what we're all really scared of with game? Because, you know, I've been through it. You know, we've, we've all been through it, being scared to play. Yeah. Is it, what is it that we're really, really scared of is that we're scared of how we're going to make ourselves feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, or, or, and not, not only how we're going to make ourselves feel and just backing up prior to that is, you know, it's not just, I hit a bad shot, but what does that say about me as a person, as a golfer, what are other yeah. people going to say? You know, I know you know this, but I spend a pr- probably more than most people listening for an amateur, a, a ridiculous amount of time playing golf of consequence tournament golf scores are posted it's online it's posted in the you know there's this running scoreboard at the end of the round and on those days you know i'm going to talk about it with tim and when we say goodbye but you know it's sometimes hard because it's like what does that say what does that score say about me i felt like i played better than that score indicates and that's another hurdle for all of us but if you think about it howard that's again this is something i've looked at long and hard I've been worked with some decent players who've done okay and I call it the great illusion that you know we have the illusion that if we if we do well we'll feel happy for a, for a period of time and how long does it last how long does the, how long I mean you know I've seen it time and time again with guys who won on the PGA tour they've got tour cars they've won majors and it, it's a puff of smoke. It literally, literally the next week, yeah. you, you know, you're back to the problems of the world. <laughs> exactly. and, you know, so the, the, the best that could happen doesn't last very long. And it's the same with the bad stuff as well. You know, how many times we've gone out, you've took, you've took a number that you couldn't comprehend that you could take. You're ashamed, you, you're embarrassed, but we dust ourselves down and we get on with it. And I think, you know, the, the bad doesn't last that long. The good doesn't last that long. So what does it leave us with? It, it, it actually leaves us with a choice of what the game means to us mm-hmm. right now. You know, I, I come back to, we put it, we put this in the lost art books about, you know, the concepts of, of just being grateful for the next round that we play. Cause why on earth do we think that we've got any more round, any more rounds left than the next one? What what an illusion that is for us all, isn't it? We all know tragic stories of people who would have played a round of golf, and that was the last round, and they were taken from us far too far too soon. You know, so why why do we have this illusion that there's an infinite number of rounds left when there there isn't? And again, quoting Fred, you know, if you were to go if you were to go and and, and Kent um, Osborne, who was on my show last week, the the, the 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 ritual that he's goes through, which is brilliant, before every round, you know. How would you approach this if this was the last round that you're going to play? Mm-hmm. Well, you probably, you know, you're probably not going to beat the crap out of yourself. And I would imagine you try and enjoy your, the company and, and enjoy the shots that you do hit. Yeah, uh, Timmy, these, let's. These uh, are all. These are all, again. These are all concepts that I think the the number one thing I would say is that's, that's why it's important to work with Tim and is that you've got to take these concepts. I had a guy I spoke to just earlier on today, and he said. He said, we've, we've been working on the same thing for, for two years. He said, he said, but I think I'm getting there now. <laughs> you know, and- <laughs> That's great. Oh, it's amazing. It, you're absolutely right, uh, Carl. It's, it's amazing how long it takes. I've got some clients I've been working with for two years, mm. and they feel like they're finally starting, starting mm. <laughs> to get an awareness of, of, the, of the behavior patterns and how they recur and what are the commitments they need to make to keep them to get them to really move forward? Gosh, as humans, man, we're so slow yeah. at yeah. at realizing what makes us tick and how we habitually react and, and how we move forward. It, it takes forever. But I mean, as you said, 
Carl, we're, we've been talking about these 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 big concepts, and it takes a lot of it, it takes a lot of paying attention to. But you know, let's just for a moment here to get really simple. If there was one thing that you might advise someone who's listening to our podcast uh, to, and they're going to go play this weekend. And maybe they're a bit stuck in their game. They're frustrated a bit. What would you offer them as something that they could, say, have as an intention for their round of golf that week? I'd ask them to play what I call the accumulation game. Now, the accumulation game is the opposite of the score game. So the score game is that you have subconsciously a score in mind that you think you'll be happy with. So that score, you know, might be 75 if you're a five handicapper or 80 if you're a 10 handicapper or whatever. You, you, you get the gist of it. Now, if you've got the score in mind subconsciously, every shot that you hit then that, that's offline or every put that you miss is potentially taking something away from you. Right. If I know this game very well. <laughs> yeah. this is yes, that's game a game that I'm familiar with, yes. All the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, and and everything is is and humans, you know, there's there's a there's a, a lot of lot of um, research on this, isn't there? And uh, about about loss aversion, we don't like we don't like right. to, we don't like to lose something that we think we own. And if you you know if you're if you're a ten handicapper, you you kind of own eighty ish, and you don't feel you don't you don't want to be too far away from that. The accumulation game is different. It's a it's a really refreshing one. You go to the first tee with absolutely nothing. You've got you've got zero, and your your goal that day is just to accumulate as many good shots that, as you can, and you, you maybe mark it out on a on a separate card. You know you might not you might not accumulate anything on the first hole, but that just gives you an opportunity to accumulate something on the next hole. And it's amazing the difference it makes when you when you're aiming at something rather than trying to avoid something. You're not aiming at a score; you're aiming at accumulating something that actually on each shot is an opportunity. So from the first tee to the 18th green with the last putt, every shot is an is an opportunity to accumulate. And if you if you play that for an extended period of time as well as having a lot of highlights there you find it quite liberating because a bad shot is just an opportunity then to then accumulate something on the next one uh, before we let you go I, I wanted to make sure we mentioned the uh, the mind factor which you know we've talked about on the show a lot uh, that's Carl's home base go to the mind factor just check it out online but something you mentioned and let's take a minute or two to describe what the mind caddy is and how people can avail themselves of having uh, a good to have a caddy help them out mentally while they're playing this aggravating game yeah, the, the, the Mindcad is an app we put together, Howard. It, um, it's a kind of neat piece of software where you can, in some of the concepts that we've that we've been talking about today, about acceptance, things like that, is there's actually a, a scoring system on there that you can actually score the work that you do on it. So it keeps you it keeps you on track. There's various lessons in there that you can, you know, reinforce what we've been talking about today. But it's a kind of it's a kind of um, self-monitoring you know about the email system i mentioned before it, it, it next best thing to working with somebody like myself hopefully the mind caddy is a, is a way of creating some accountability each time you go and play so you can start to see much clearer your patterns and your habits that you've got out on the course i'm looking at it now here online you can go to mindcaddy.golf is that you yeah. Okay. And the app look is, it says you can download for free. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, we'd love for everyone to check it out. And uh, as always, man, what a uh, far reaching. I, I mean, there's a casual, you know, we're casual now. We used to be all intimidated by Dr. Carl, but there's a casualness now. I like it. I hope you don't find, uh, you know, we still hold you in reverence. It's uh, good I'm, to see I'm you. Sat, as I'm, sat here, I'm sat here in my slippers in my in my office, so that <laughs> just shows you how comfortable I feel with you both. Uh, listen, man, always a pleasure to see you, and uh, it won't be the last time. I'm sure there'll be other opportunities. All the best from the Mind Factor, uh, the man who knows what he's talking about, Dr. Carl Morris. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Thank Take you very care. much. Dave. There was Thanks. a lot of gold in there, kids. A lot of good stuff in there. Uh, the uh, the idea that acceptance uh, leads to freedom is a is a big one for me, man. Um, we'll let Carl out. There he goes. You know, it's funny. I had a long conversation with Darley, uh, Darley, with Doctor Charlie Fitzsimmons last night. He was uh, coming back to Toronto from London. He had a couple hours to kill, so we were just shooting the shit. And uh, we got to uh, talking about all kind of things. And he asked me. 
you know, why I was kind of going through a period of, you know, ennui, uh, golf, uh, not golf Heck. hell. No, you just, just kind of feeling a little bit of uh, accumulated season long, you know, disappointment with some of my results. And, and it's funny because, you know, you know, as a, you've heard of this uh, concept before of recency bias, you know, recency. Well, re- re- golfers suffer from recency bias in so much that we have long memories for our bad shots. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And and how we feel sometimes is based on our most recent experience. So I've, I've told you, I played a lot of golf in the last couple of weeks. Most of it is tournament golf. And uh, on last week, Monday, I shot 70 in a golf tournament. Nice. And uh, it was match play. So I had a couple of three footers that were given to me. But I made a lot of birdies that day. And my score, I bogeyed the last hole to shoot 70. Friday afternoon, I got so mad at myself that it took me an hour after the round to calm down. And all that happened was in the middle of a big tournament, middle of it, I played great golf for 15 holes. And I double bogey 16, bogey 17, and 18 to shoot 78. Now, it's not the worst score, but, it, you know, I, I, I was, in a word, apoplectic. I was so oh, yeah. pissed at myself for that finishing to this tournament because, you know, at the point that I was two over through 15, I was starting to feel like, okay, you know, like, don't know what the winning score is going to be, but I play a bunch of these and usually it's around uh, even par, one or two over, you know, whatever. And uh, whatever my point to Charlie was, if I'd started off four over after three and played the rest of the round two over, I would have felt great. Mm-hmm. But the reason I mentioned the two different scores is Friday afternoon, all I would have said to you is my whole season's been a piece of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like all yeah. I could think, I, my, my point being, it's the recency bias. And I said to Charlie last night, I said, I, I, I sort of, as I was calming myself down, I sort of forgot like, oh yeah, it was only four days ago that I had that experience. And I think a lot of us suffer with that, that we, we forget that, you know, our round may not be as bad as we think it is round week season or whatever, because we tend to, as human beings, especially as golfers focus on the negative aspects of the game and how we are affected by them. What do you think about that? Oh, Timberlake. Bang on. I mean, you said recency bias. And so the other phrase that goes with that is negative bias. Our brains are negatively biased. And part of that, without getting all into the the brain stuff, is that our brains are wired to keep us alive. So we're always on the outlook for threats and things. And so when bad shit happens, the brain goes, okay, or the ego part of it goes, oh, well, how do we stop this from happening? So it starts to devise some kind of strategy um, so we can move on from that. But it also feels the emotional weight from it. You know, God, we don't want to do that again. So yeah, yeah. Let's move forward and all that. It's, it, so it's just kind of a, it's a loop that just feeds itself constantly. And um, so it's just being aware of that, of, uh, well, it's not just, I I say just, it's almost as easy as that. Oh, if I'm aware of that, then it will stop. Well, it starts with awareness for sure. It sure starts with it, but the, it, that's where it starts for sure. It's just being aware. Oh, I'm falling into that pattern again of, of, of lamenting and wishing and hoping all of that. Well, I know one thing that, I, again, I talked about it with Charlie, and, and Carl made me uh, remind me that, you know, I, I had played a lot of rounds of golf in a row, and my last round on Labor Day Monday was with one of my best friends who, you know, very average golfer, 18, 17 handicap, and just loves the game. And we were walking. We played Greystone, which is a great golf course. And, oh, yeah. And it was my funnest round. That is, if we're, I, my fun, my favorite round of the twelve previous rounds that were in tournaments and you know pretty prestigious golf courses, etc. And the reason it was one of my favorites was because it just didn't matter. We were just talking and laughing and making fun of stuff, and you know, barely keeping score. And I hit a couple of shots, second shots. I wanted to try a couple things and just sticking around, helping him with his driving, and and then I just felt so energized by the experience where 
the couple of days before, like I played a tournament Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I played with him Monday. And all those other rounds were fine, and there were some moments of fun in them, but it's like I, I, I'm just so in... I'm, not, I'm, I'm a different person with him. It's like Charlie also said, like he and I played a few weeks back and we just got paired up with a couple of guys who had no idea they were playing with the Canadian mid-amateur champion and a plus one handicap. We just sort of joined up with them. And I was joking around with them. Like I was like, I was just sort of being myself. And Charlie said, it's funny, Howard, that day that you were kidding around with those guys. I hope we don't hold you up. Don't worry. We'll try and find our balls, blah, blah, blah. And I was <laughs> chirping him the entire round. And he said, you were such a different guy than I've seen show up at tournaments. It's almost like my actual personality goes away and this tournament golfer personality guy that is so intense and, you know, not having a great time. And I thought, fuck, you know, I, that is so true. My, my personality with Fraser on Monday was completely different. And I came home, I felt so much joy from the game. And that was kind of my takeaway from my conversation with Dr. Fitzy. Because at the end, he's so funny. Because we're talking to his friends about a couple of things. And he says, okay, I'm going to let you go. But he says, tell me what you've learned from this conversation. I go, I had no idea there was going to be homework. <laughs> or and, accountability. Yeah, exactly. And I said to him, well, the biggest thing I'm going to take away, besides some things I won't mention, is, um, <laughs> is that I need to remind myself that I like golf for other reasons than just the score I'm going to shoot today. And yeah, that was a big one for me. Big, big one. Exactly. And and you know what's so interesting? This connects with what we were saying with Carl about the long-term thing. Like, we've been talking on this podcast about what you just said about seven years. Seven years! <laughs> seven goddamn years! <laughs> exactly. Oh, and we're finally getting our head around it? Oh, oh no, really? I know. Um, <laughs> no, it is amazing. And, and, and that's... Um, I, I wanted to get into kind of what I... Uh, Your range session. You were going to get there. I've yeah, got, yeah, I've but got what it written I connected down. Was this idea of, of, of lightness. Yes. And that golf isn't, has, doesn't have to be, for me, this, this, this heavy undertaking yeah. in which my character, my, my level of talent and skill will be tested mm-hmm. for everyone to see. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, and for me to see, do I have a, any hope of realizing my aspirations uh, I don't think golf has to be that, and I really think that um, you know I, I fall into it too. I had a I had a pretty good score going on Saturday, and I thought that oh my handicap's gonna my index is gonna drop below you know five today for the first time and all of that, and then I just started to feel this tension and loose shots and 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 um, the uh, <laughs> the possibility for my index going down evaporated. Oh, did but it? <laughs> I wonder the why. Coming, the thing, the thing yeah. I'm coming back to, is, again, is if we can have a sense of, uh, the word I'm going with is lightness or acceptance, freedom, whatever works for you, that's when golf can really be magical in terms of great score, wonderful time, just testing ourselves and seeing what's possible as Fred would say that's when golf is is amazing and and I'll just end this by saying you know how often have you heard someone say on the PGA or LPGA tour who would miss say five or six cuts in a row and they go on to win and one of the first things they say in the press room is you know what Golf's fun again. Yeah, I just wanted to have a good time, and so I just kind of let go of all the all the nonsense and all the stuff I've been grinding on, and just wanted to have fun. And, and look what happens. Now, if golf and rest of life was as easy as that, oh, I'm just going to have fun today. Well, then it would be. But I do think there's a nugget of wisdom in there about having having fun and keeping things in balance. I, I agree. And whether we've said it once or a thousand times, the fact is. You know, a lot of the things that keep coming up on our show from the mental perspective um, are thematic and and they're seasonal and, and, you know, things ebb and flow. And there are, you know, if you were to graph our mental um, 
if somebody, we get a college kid or something to go back and listen to all 210 shows and when we were feeling good about our game and we were feeling bad about it and the reasons and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I will, you know, I, and Kent, that was on uh, Carl's show. I, I still have to listen to it. But I, I spent a lot of time talking to Kent Osborne. And uh, his thing is uh, scratch attitude and all about grat- all about being grateful. And it's a great mm-hmm. reminder, even though, you know, he is no different than the rest of us. Um, you know, we can all talk a good game until we're playing the game. And then sometimes, depending on your energy level and how you feel, et cetera, et cetera. But he does have a process of acknowledging the gratitude around playing that I think is universally suited to the, everyone can benefit from it. Again, as I was talking to Dr. Fitzy last night, I am a much different golf player like Weston on Friday. You know, I finished up. I had dinner with everyone. I didn't sulk. I didn't leave. But I went home and I was pissed at myself. But for what reason? Uh, none of the guys there, they all know I can play. Uh, like I don't have any, like I was saying to Charlie and we were talking, I don't have anything to prove to anyone anymore. But here's the thing for me, and this might be relatable for you and others. I think because I work so hard at this that I should get a payoff every time I play. But that's not how the game works. But as he said, and again, it was a great reminder because, you know, I've been talking about this with Charlie almost as long as you. He said, but, you know, because he and I were on the range together a couple weeks ago. We spent two and a half hours just hitting balls and dicking around. And he said, remember that day on the range? You weren't doing that to lower your score. We were doing that for fun. Mm-hmm. And he said, you don't work at the game. You love practicing. And I do. Like I, for, I And I forget that there's other aspects of golf than what did I post at this tournament on Friday. And uh, I, it was a good, it was a great conversation. I'm glad we're having some of it now because sometimes at this point in the golf season, you know, we got a couple more months left, maybe. It's like, man, I, I spent a lot of time this summer being kind of, at a low level of seething. (laughs) And I had no seething on Monday because I just was a, I just, I turned off tournament guy and turned back on, you know, how I am with you sort of silly and dicking around. And, you know, it was just different. Now, of course I didn't have to post that score and Mm -hmm. I didn't. But I can promise you, I was pretty good. You know, I made some good shots, and but it was a, it was the lightness, as you were saying. You know, like, and I guess that'll be my big takeaway from this year is that you know maybe I didn't live up to this expectation I had of myself, but you know it was another good lesson. And what am I playing? You know, back to the day one of you. What are you playing this game for? You know, and and I play. I love to tinker with my golf swing and and dick around practicing. I just love that stuff. I love it as much as the fact that I'm going to go play around a round of golf today at men's night. That really doesn't matter very much, to be honest. It doesn't. No, totally. totally. None of them really yeah, but it's, do. It, but it's fun, and there's so much that can be experienced when you go to men's night and and I'll go tomorrow to men's night at Blue Springs and there's there's, there's the the needling on the range yeah. and there's just the chatting on the way to the carts and the the conversations you have you know while waiting for someone to pod and afterwards and the, the golf offers so much more than just you know the number on the scorecard yeah and yes it's hard to keep that in balance but you know everyone's just trying to do their best i mean we were Part of the thing in this game is, is that, uh, you know, you, people talk about having fun. Well, if we're hitting it sideways, that's not very much fun. So, but how do we strike a balance between having fun and hitting good shots and, and making a good score? Because we all want it. But, uh, again, I think one of the things that we can take away, I think, from our chat with Carl today was you kind of have to do some preliminary work, I yes. think. And then it's to understand what's your relationship with the game and what's your relationship with yourself. And that's why I think golf, in, in many ways, um, you know, it's, it's a uh, technical game, it's mental, it's emotional, it, it's physical and spiritual yeah. in that way. And that we just learn so much about ourselves. 
No, I, I yes to all, as the kids like to say. So tell me about your uh, your range moment, and then we're going to wrap things up because I got to get ready to go. Oh, it, well, it was just you know, it was a. Range did you have a, did you have a golf just, breakthrough? Did you have a physical swing breakthrough? No, it was nothing like that. It was just I was I when I was taking uh, Freddie for a walk yesterday. I, I Freddie's Tim's dog, sit, not my partner. You. you didn't take Fred Patterson for a walk. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Because I wonder if people go, wow, that that's weird. weird. Is Tim walking Fred from Humble and Fred? That seems weird. Is he that old? Jesus. Freddie P. Heel. Freddie P. Heel. Come on, Fred. Come now. Fred, don't take a shit in Stay. the park. <laughs> Freddie, stop taking a shit in the park. Good thing I have a bag. No. That's uh, right. You need a knapsack. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, you're walking with Fred yes, the yes, dog. Yes, I'm walking Freddy Freddy the boxer. for the second time to our um, our wonderful conversation, as they all are, with Dr. Ed Cullen. Eddie. And the, now, the, the whole thing, initially I was thinking, okay, he was saying some very cool things about the final, you know, fixation, if you will, and what you're doing and looking at that dimple. So that just hit one of those markers for me around, oh, there's a kind of like, there's a technical thing. It's almost like, mm-hmm. oh, Golf Digest little tip here. Look at the and ball. And that's what I, I respond to that stuff. I think as golfers, we all do. You know, it's like, oh, if I do this, then this will get better. Okay. So I get attracted to that. But what I heard him talk about was basically what was the three C's, right? Being carefree, careful, or careless. Mm-hmm. So, my usual go-to is to be careful. This is important, and uh, that's what I've done all my life, and everything, including my golf, is try to do it right and make sure I go through all the steps, all that kind of stuff. But here's what I'm getting to. On the range, I I just had this sense of of being a little bit more carefree, and the phrase that I came up that just resonated with me later was just being lighter. And I could just feel, rather than... Getting ready to hit a golf shot <laughs> and my body tensing up and, you know, connecting with the ground and all that going through a pilot checklist was just feeling kind of light. And just there's the target. Yeah, I'm going to look at that dimple like he talked about, the quiet eye thing, and then just make a swing. And I just felt that in the phrase I'm just going with is lightness in my body mm-hmm. and hit shot after shot. And it was like, Good contact, excellent trajectory, really good ball speed, all that. And it was just a – and I just kind of kept messing with that. And I even did that thing, which I haven't done very often, but I I teed up five balls in a row. And it was just wacky with a driver, another driver. And I hit like four out of five of them, just like pow, just with this feeling that I'm just going to say it again, lightness. And that just – you know, you have rain sessions every once in a while, which are pretty cool, and and something maybe a, a new distinction came up, and and that's the one I I had. So that's and, I, and so I've been journaling about this, thinking about it, and I just think there's something in there for me, and perhaps for other folks as well. Well, I think uh, I think so too. Uh, smart guy, Dave, my brother, who's been on this show a couple times. He called me up uh, a couple days ago. He goes. Um, I'm on the range. Uh, what does it mean to hold the target? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I love that. And I said, oh. to because he was listening to the uh, Dr. Collins show as well. And I basically said that to him. I said, you've got to just trust that you you can hold the target in your mind while swinging versus, okay, I want to hit it over there. But now I'm going back to reminding myself how to swing a golf club. Mm-hmm. And that's a distinction that you made. You weren't thinking of what positions do I need to hit that will make this thing go somewhere. You were just sort of thinking about the target or holding it as much as you can and then trusting that your body will make some kind of motion that propels it toward the your uh, final goal. But I said to David that I would start with putting and chipping and pitching because those are easier to kind of... There's not, the physical motion of it isn't as complex or whatever um i said because that's sort of training your brain to let yourself not think of the actual motion while you're performing it and that's what you went through 
Yeah, well, as Dr. Izzy talked about, um, putting is entirely mental. It's not difficult to do. The ball That's is right. just sitting there. Yep. You just got to hit it four or five feet or, or whatever it is. And the self-interference that goes on is is the, is in the trying, mm-hmm. you know, as to move a body part in a certain way or a sequence or something. So it's it's a little bit well, it's a way lot easier to apply something like hold the target and equally to say have your eyes fixated on say a dimple uh, where the sun's glinting off of it or the back of the ball. Um, the thing that I was experiencing was. Again, it was kind of like holding that balance of, okay, because that quiet eye thing has been something I've been experimenting with all year since I talked to Dr. Vickers and, and Ed talked about it months ago. And, and it's I really see how it's really um, benefited in many ways my game, particularly in my short game. But I was trying to apply it like a, like a technique mm-hmm. on the range. and But I could still hit some pretty good shots but still some squirrely shots but it was that sense of really just just lighten up pal Mm -hmm. (laughs) in all kinds of different ways that i just started to have a just a better experience of hitting the ball i wasn't making this big every once in a while i make this big sort of lungy body move at it (laughs) well we all do rather than just rather than just try and you know oh there's the target let's just swing the club towards that thing you know, a lot of the things we talk about on the show, and I, the, the caveat applies to what you just said, what Carl said, and what I've said a few times today. These are very, very simple concepts. They're easy to talk about. They're just hard sometimes to apply. Yep. Whether it's what we're talking about this second or having a better mental outlook. Yeah, it's a simple concept, but, you know, you... I mean, I mean, who's had uh, the kind of access to experts, you know, than, than me, and I still struggle with it. You know, and I'm a bit of a, like I said to Charlie, I've no, there's no part of me now that will strategically give away a shot. I just don't do that. So, yeah, I'm just saying, so that part of my game, that part of the mental part of the game, I don't give up. I will, I'll try on every shot. I just don't, I don't do that. But there's the other emotional connection that sometimes gets in my way. I would say. Well, for well, for all of us, for sure. Yep. And I loved the the phrase that Carl used, uh, apparent knowledge. Yeah. And how, how he talked, particularly now uh, with this thing called the internet, um, people come to lessons or, or to golf in general with so many ideas. And they've read the books and they've taken a course and, and, and they, they consume Instagram or TikTok. They got all this knowledge. But that's a very different thing than having experience mm-hmm. or real understanding of self. So, uh, yeah, and we all fall into it for sure. Next week, uh, another friend of the show, Hall of Famer Paul Doolin, will be here. Uh, we'll be talking about state management. We'll go over his uh, mantra, eyes up, tits up. Thank you very much to uh, Dr. Carl Morris, Mind Factor. Tim O'Connor, work with him. Come on, people. O'ConnorGolf.ca, his latest blog is there. And uh, more information about quiet mind putting and so on and so forth. Thanks to TaylorMade, TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Humble and Fred show back uh, on a four-day-a-week schedule. It's just a lot to take in. Until next time, we'll see you. Thanks, everyone. Well, now you step inside, but you don't see. 